0: Number Johnny Five? Am I not telling you not to go outside of the doors? Outside of doors is city. Awesome input. You did not tell me. You have been vandalized all over yourself. No, decorations. Multicolored petroleum byproducts. Los locos kick your ass. Los locos kick your face. Los locos kick your balls into outer
1: space. Number Johnny
0: Five.
1: Uh Uh-oh. Come on. I will clean
0: you up. But if you had a mouth, I would wash it out with soap. This is What's the Problem, a podcast in which we rewatch movies from our youth to determine if they are problematic by today's standards. I'm Jimmy.
1: And I'm Jen. Today we'll be discussing Short Circuit 2, which was released in the US on July 6th, 1988, in the UK on January 6th, 1989, and in Ireland on March 24th, 1989. It is written by S.S. Wilson and Brent Maddock and was directed by Kenneth Johnson. It stars Fisher Stevens, Michael McKeon, Cynthia Gibb, Jack Weston, and the voice of Tim Blaney.
0: Does indeed. Um, what's going to happen is this: Jen and I have thought three problems that this movie has, three each, and one positive, and we'll just have a little discussion on it. So, Jen, do you have any history with this movie? I can't remember if you've seen it or not. Before.
1: Um, yeah, I I saw it. I, I I have no idea. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw it. I don't know if it, if it was something that I watched a lot. I don't know if I just caught it on TV once. I don't. I really am unclear on my relationship with the short circuit movies.
0: Yeah. I I watched them I watched them a lot when I was a kid mostly because I think I watched them on TV. Uh, the the I watched the first one more than this one. I think I saw this one on TV more when it was on, um, and it was edited, <laughs> edited for television, um, mm-hmm. but. But yeah, it's it's not one that I've I've returned to. I've got the Blu Ray of it, uh, so that's good, but yeah, it's not one that I actually. It's it's not one of my favourites. I, I do prefer. I mean, I quite like this one. I don't think this one is bad. Um, Mm-mm. it's just I don't know. I just prefer the the first one. I think it's because maybe I watched that one more <laughs> as a child.
1: It's because you're such a Gutenberg fan. That's
0: what it is. I love I love me the Goot. Uh, so that was a very short introduction. Let's just jump into it. The... <laughs> we don't have anything to say about it. Uh, we've both seen it. We've now seen it again. Jen just finished watching it about two minutes ago, um, so let's just get into the first problem. And my first problem is just the same as the last movie, and that's brownface.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's still a thing. Two years after the fact, it's still still a thing. Um, but I think the difference here, though, is that Benjamin is better written this time round. I think mm-hmm. he's less sort of cliched and less, um, he's less of a sex pest in this one. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, he's got an actual personality here and he's not just like a horny foreigner.
1: Yeah, I totally forgot about the horniness of the last one until you just said that. Yeah. Yeah, I remember now. No, this he was very sweet in this movie. He is.
0: He is. But he's still a white guy. <laughs> um, yeah. Wearing brown face. But the director in his commentary uh, talks about the brown face, uh, and he says that it rightfully wouldn't happen today, Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, that people now play within their own race. Um, Then he said, except Mm -hmm. Ben Affleck and Argo. (laughs) That's true. So he had a little dig at Ben Affleck for no reason.
1: No, I mean, there's good reason there, because Ben Affleck shouldn't have been playing that role.
0: That's true. That was just like an he, ego thing for Ben Affleck because he was directing the movie.
1: Yeah, which is so weird. To, but it's so weird to me because the first movie he directed, he wasn't in. Yeah. Or or he didn't star in. I can't remember if he was in it or not. But his, I mean, his brother started. No, he was Gone Baby Gone. Gone Baby yeah, Gone. He wasn't in that. It's been a while since yeah. I've seen it. Yeah, and so his ego isn't so big that he has to put himself in every mm-hmm. movie. But yeah, the fact that he put himself in Argo when he was not the right right ethnicity. I, yeah. yeah, I can get behind criticizing that. But it's the thing that happens every once in a while now, right? Yeah. Um and we don't even and that's not even getting into it like I mean, yeah, we should be criticizing the white people more, but then the white people are also the ones who will cast like Korean people in Chinese role. Like they'll yeah. they'll say anyone who's Asian can be any kind of Asian and that that's shitty too. That happens a lot too. Yeah. Um there and then there's I don't know. As you get further into cultures, there's like more of it where it's like, I can't even talk about it because I'm not educated enough. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, but uh, the director also says in his commentary that, there's, um, that the brown face actually brought out a lot of bigots um, because uh, Fisher Stevens and uh, Cynthia Gibb went out for dinner a few times. Mm-hmm. And occasionally we get the, the odd racist remark thrown at them by just general members of the public. And it's like, well, that's not on. But this this was when Fisher Stevens decided this is when he actually did all the he went to um India and like he studied Indian culture and stuff mm. with actual genuine people of the country, India. Um which is a great thing and it shows that the guy was genuinely like, I really want to nail this. I, I don't want to insult anyone. And maybe a lot of the thing about the first movie was a part of that as well because Benjamin was such a horny character and just such a lech and didn't really do much. But here he is, really sweet and a and a well written, well rounded, good character. But it's still a white guy in brown face, and we can't get past that fact. It's just still, it's okay justifying it to say well he did this and did that, but he's still a white guy in brown face. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um. So what's your first problem?
1: Um. How fake the opening is. Right. Like how you can, tell, you know, it's like, it was something I never thought of until I saw Beetlejuice, right? Like you're watching the mm. beginning of Beetlejuice and it's like showing the whole town and you're like, what a cool shot they must have gotten with a helicopter or something. And then it's the model. Yeah. That he's been building. Nice fucking model. And it, <clears throat> and, and that that's the thing about Beetlejuice is like, it's so realistic. You think it's real, right? So you're watching this one. And it's like they want you to think it's real, and it's fake as hell. Once, especially once the plane is there, mm. and it just oh, it just bugged me. <laughs> it it just it was just so badly done. It shouldn't be that obvious, I, especially to somebody as inobservant as me.
0: Yeah. Um. Okay. That was actual footage shot from a helicopter. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But what about the plane? <laughs>
0: that there? was a, he- a helicopter above a plane. Because the plane because was
1: that plane looked fake as the hell. The plane was going
0: in for landing, so the helicopter was above it.
1: The plane looked fake as hell. Do you not think that whole thing looked fake? Uh, uh,
0: well, the director said it was real, so I'm just going to buy what the director said.
1: Oh my God, it looks fake as hell to me. No, probably
0: I don't know. It probably was fake, I don't know. I was only a half listening to his commentary at that point. I was just waiting to get into you- the stuff about the brown face. <laughs> It does look
1: fake. It looks really fake to me. The stuff with the airplane looked fake, and it didn't match up with the footage you see once they, you know, moved down to the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I don't know. Yeah. If it was real, then bad job, guys.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're right. It doesn't look real. Um, Beetle just did it better.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, right, so my second problem is I get that Stephanie and Newton... Right, are probably really pissed off and annoyed at Johnny Five because he's constantly wanting input. And they must be fed up of him by now, that's why they're sending him away under the guise of helping Benjamin. But why risk sending him to a busy city in the first place? Ben doesn't even know anything about Johnny Five. Like, he he knows he exists but he doesn't know that he's now called Johnny Five. You know, you'd think that that would be something Mm -hmm. that Stephanie and Um, Newton would have told them, they would have, like, so are they not really talking to Benjamin, but then they just send their robot to him?
1: I guess, I don't know, I, I, I didn't think about it that much.
0: Yeah, probably because you watched that bit last week.
1: (laughs) That's true, but I don't think I thought about it much last week.
0: Yeah, Uh, it, uh, yeah, it just seems quite selfish. It seems as though they're just sending them there just to cause Ben trouble. (laughs) Um...
1: I think they're trying to be helpful. I think
0: I think that's the, that that's the intent that the plot wants us to think. But I think it's actually um no, that's what it's supposed to be, right? Mhm. But you would think that these two people, one of them is a scientist, they would realize that maybe sending this million dollar robot to New York City.
1: Well, what drives me crazy is the idea that like like so Johnny Five's supposed to be very smart. Um, obviously, like smart robot. Like, you'd think that you would be able to tell him you need to stay in here and not be seen. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't go like they they want to keep it a secret that he's in the city, but it's like wouldn't he understand <laughs> that he's not supposed to go around? Just
0: tell him like, Johnny, we'll give you all the input you need, right? We'll give you everything if you just stay in here and help us out. And you know, yeah. but they don't. The humans are the humans are stupid. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what is your second problem?
1: Um, when Ben sends that message uh, to Sandy with the music clues, mm. out of everything in this movie, I feel like that's the most far fetched. <laughs> like she's gonna listen to this and understand? Oh man, Ben's in trouble, and these are clues I am supposed to decipher. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I believe anything with a robot before I believe that. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's quite far fetched.
1: It's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, it's like the idea of it is clever, but if you think about it for more than half a second, you're like, "This, d- why would she think like this? Doesn't make sense." Yeah,
0: she automatically goes to Ben is in trouble. Yeah, it's like Lassie come up to her and started barking, and she just mm-hmm. got it right away. It's it's quite you know, far fetched, but that's the movies. Uh, right, so my my third problem is the scene where Johnny Five is destroyed is pretty fucked up.
1: It was. I saw it was voted somewhere as like one of the top five saddest movie scenes of all time. <laughs> was it? Somewhere, I don't it know. fucked
0: me up as a child, and it, it's really upsetting. It, it's it. still quite upsetting as an adult to see.
1: Well, I, I guess this is a good time to talk about uh, Siskel and Ebert. Did you see how Siskel and Ebert rated this movie? Mm. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up from Siskel and Ebert. And Ebert's thing was, I think it was Ebert that said, like, I mean, you you care about this damn robot. <clears throat> like, you get to that point and it's like, yeah, it's a stupid movie, but like, it is upsetting. Yeah. It is really upsetting. And that shows that they were doing something right. Yeah. If you find Johnny Five getting the shit kicked out of him <clears throat> upsetting, then they're they've done a good job of making you care about this robot. Yeah. <laughs> And I thought that was interesting. Siskel and Ebert liked this. Movie. Yeah, it is quite strange. I, I, I mean, I agree with
0: I agree with them that it is. I mean, it's emotional manipulation by the filmmakers, but it works. Mm-hmm. And the end of the first movie, he blows up, but it's not really him. But I think now that you have like two movies worth of Johnny Five, and the fact that this is more brutal, it's not just like an mm-hmm. instant explosion. It's like um, he's getting. Yeah, like you said, he's getting this shit beaten out of him by this bunch of guys, um, and he even bleeds at one point, point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and it's it's just it's horrifying to watch. It is. Yeah. It is. But yeah, no. Well done to the filmmakers for that. It's it's if you can have a a, a reaction like a horrified reaction to a robot getting beaten up. Um, Mm -hmm. then the filmmakers are doing a good job, (laughs) I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's, well, and it's so personal too, Mm -hmm. right? Like, they are wanting to kill a witness. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, he's not a person, but to us he's a person. And it's just, uh, it's just so sad. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I thought you'd appreciate that, Jen. (laughs) (laughs) What's your F for problem? (laughs)
1: <laughs> we're just flying through these mm-hmm. um okay this is stupid mm-hmm. um and this is the kind of problem I hate because it's not great for a podcast because mm-hmm. there's no visuals but that jacket she's wearing for most of the third act <laughs> that Sandy's wearing oh my god it's awful do you know what I'm talking about? yeah yeah, it's terrible like at first I was like did she, did she fall in the trash? like what what's wrong <laughs> with this jacket? it's so it's so gross yeah and she looks so cute in the previous scenes, and so to see her in this terrible jacket, it was very distracting to me while she was trying to rescue Ben. Right. Like, normally I don't go with clothing as being my problem, no. that's more your thing. No, it but, is more my but thing, But yeah. this one really bothered me. I haven't done that in a while.
0: Um, I've been listening back to old episodes for the anniversary um thing that I'm doing, and I've only really done clothing, like, twice... So far. were they both ties? They were both ties. One was a bow tie and one was a tie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, out of the, I think I've done 20. No. I've done the first year. Okay. Um, which was the crush up until uh, the wizard, I think? And then, I've sort of done all of those. So, out of those ones, uh, and I've done a couple after it. Um, Cause I've done 48 hours as well, and that was the first one of year two. Gross. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> um, oh, that was a joy to listen back to. <laughs> um. Yeah, that was, I think there was only two. We'll get into it in the anniversary thing. Um. Right. Yeah, so I've only done the, the clothing twice, but it seems to be something that, I should do more often. I'll need to try and find really bad clothes. But thank you for carrying that on, Jen.
1: Yeah, it was, you know, it was harder for me to find problems for this than I thought because, like, I was expecting this to be a big pile of shit. And I'm not saying it's a good movie. No. But I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because when I told Dylan last week what I was going to be watching, he was like, couldn't you at least watch the good one? And I was like, well, we already watched the first one. And he was like, yeah, but this is just, like, why would you do this to yourself? And I was like, excuse me. <laughs> and... I expected it to be way worse, but especially now that you're reminding me of the stuff I hated about Ben in the mm-hmm. first one, like this one was. I might have enjoyed this one better than the first.
0: Yeah, one. yeah. I've got nostalgia for the first one more, so it's probably that. But I do mm-hmm. think this is a more competently made mov- movie, and I think it's um, it's one with better characterization. Um,
1: and Michael McKeon's a nice addition. Yeah, like I enjoy watching smarmy Michael McKeon. Like that's nice. Yeah. That's good. Um, I really like the girl who plays Sandy. Mm -hmm. Um, She
0: makes
1: me she makes me care about her more than I should when she's barely been on screen. Yeah, (laughs) Um, even when she's wearing a horrible jacket. Even when she's wearing a horrible jacket, God, that jacket! Mm -hmm. So gross. Um, I really hated that jacket. (laughs)
0: But I'm gonna have to find the style of this jacket and post it on the on the website. But it was it was a it was a, it was a fun movie to watch. I think. Yeah, I'm glad I watched that again. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it's not. It was, again. We are only 18 minutes in, <laughs> and we're just getting to the positives. Yeah. But no, it's a fun. It's a you know fun enough movie. Uh, but yeah, I think nostalgia is just sort of making the first one edge it for me a little. Yeah. But I do I do appreciate this one. I do think this one's well made. So my positive is uh the score. Which I use a lot. Um yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I like I, I like the main theme to this.
1: Yeah, I like a I like a nice eighties score mm-hmm. with some saxophone. That's my jam.
0: You know, oddly enough, we didn't actually speak about the the score to lethal weapon when we did lethal weapon, and that's full of fucking saxophone. The, the saxophonist in that is like for build in the um the music because it's michael Kamen, and eric clapton and david sanborn or maybe david sanborn was he got added in the second movie maybe but yeah like the saxophone was a big deal uh, throughout those lethal wet movies and we barely mentioned it and i love the score mm-hmm. to lethal weapon i'm shocked that i never mentioned it i love the saxophone yeah. in that score um yeah i just like the main theme the main theme is so like fun and uh you can't really get this score anywhere that's one of those soundtracks where you can't really find it anywhere that's not available you can't get it um there's no original songs in this like in the first movie there was two original songs but the use of holding out for a hero is quite i don't know it was kind of dated by 1988 Mm -hmm. so what is your uh positive
1: All right, hear me out. Yeah. Okay. Fisher Stevens. Yeah. Brown face sucks. Mm -hmm. We, and I know we talked about this at length when we talked about short circuit and then you brought some of this up earlier, but look, Fisher Stevens, this is the point where, which I mean, depending on who you talk to, yeah, in the eighties, we should know better. Right. Mm -hmm. But looking at how few people know better now, like obviously in the eighties, we didn't know better. And Fisher Stevens got this job and he treated it with the character with as much as much respect as one could. You know, he did the research. He wanted to seem accurate. He was good enough that plenty of young Indian men saw themselves in this role Mm -hmm. and didn't like, who was it? Was it Hari Kondabulu or was it Cal Pent? Somebody did. Or maybe Aziz Ansari. I I feel like I've heard all of them talk about. Him yeah, yeah. In this movie, but at least one of them like didn't know until he was an adult that he was an Indian, and so he was always happy to have this representation, mm-hmm. which is so sad. Yeah. Um. Although nice for young him, wh- whichever <laughs> whichever actor it was that he at least believed that mm-hmm. for a while, because that must have been nice. But um, Fisher Stevens did the best he could with something that shouldn't have existed. Mm-hmm. And I think he did a very good job. Um, I realized he was going to be my positive towards the end of the movie when I'm watching it. I'm like, he's actually like, he's giving it his all. Like, yeah. He's putting in a pretty good performance in this movie. He's he's not phoning it in. He's he's doing a very good job. And he was very, very pleasant to watch. And, um, you know, if you are going to have somebody doing <laughs> brownface, at least it's somebody that respected the culture they were accidentally offending.
0: Yeah, you know what I mean. I'm not. I I will not disagree with you. I I do think he is a highlight of this movie, and I think he did really well. And I think the character development, the changing character between Ben and the first movie and this Ben is amazing. It's mm-hmm. the writers must have thought because it's the same two guys. Uh, ben is going to be the focus of this movie, so let's you know make him likable, and not mm-hmm. just like this lecherous scumbag that he was in the first movie. And, yeah, I commend them for writing a good character. I commend Fisher Stevens for giving it 100% and mm-hmm. actually um, giving a shit. Mm-hmm. Because, again, it like, you know, sequel could easily just have phoned it in. Um, but none of them did. I, and I do I do think, like, even though I put brownface as my negative, because it still is a negative... It's still a problem. Mm -hmm. I do think that the overall result was quite good.
1: Well, and if you think about the fact that um, this is a huge problem, and it is the main thing. Like, if people talk about this movie, that's what they're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's how it comes up in conversation. So, looking back, like, it honestly should age even worse than it does... Um, and the fact that it doesn't come off as super the the first movie was offensive, but more just in a misogynistic way, Yeah. and that doesn't have anything to do with brownface. It just happened to be a character in brownface. <laughs> but with this movie, it's like it. And obviously, I'm speaking as like a super white person, but it doesn't come off as offensive. No, I don't. Um, I think the brownface is more offensive than
0: the first movie, though. Yeah, because of the way that the character was written. Because it was saying mm-hmm. that this this foreigner can't understand English and he's also yeah. a leech and it makes him say horrible things, um, but but yeah, it's handled much much better here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I agree with yeah. you. Fisher Stevens is a highlight. I like, uh, agree with your positive.
1: Yeah, I he shouldn't be watchable in this movie. No, knowing what we know. <laughs> he shouldn't be watchable and he is he is very it's it's this isn't the sort of thing that would be easy for me to forget while watching it and it is so and maybe that's a bad thing i don't know but um because he's charming as well he's very good he's yeah he's he's very charming and it's just like it's kind of sad sometimes to think about like the stupid shit hollywood does where like these actors you'll watch them in performances where they're doing something offensive but they don't they're just so innocent they just don't Mm-hmm. Like he's just, he's somebody who's actually trying to do his best. Yeah. And he's trying to honor you know the culture the best he can, and it just it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate to see how good he is in this, and the fact that like how, obviously it's good that he regrets it now, but it, it just the whole thing makes me kind of sad to see. Yeah, him giving it his all, and it's like someday this is going to be something that you're going to wish didn't exist. You know. Yeah, because it is sad when
0: you say that that young Asian actors. We're watching this and, and thinking, "Oh, this is a great representation." Blah blah blah. He's a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Blah blah. And it turns out it's a white guy. That must have been horrible.
1: Well, and that's the same thing that happened with some with a lot of um, them with Apu as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, but
0: yeah, I... I mean, it gave it gave young kids some hope at least. And now yeah. these now these people are you know known actors.
1: Yeah, so, at least one of the guys I mentioned, I'm pretty sure said uh he wouldn't have gotten into acting. Yeah. If it weren't for that. So it's like it's kind of a mixed it's a weird thing. It right? Yeah, it
0: absolutely is. On the one hand, it's like it's great. It inspired them to get into show business and to act. And then on the other hand, it must have been like a bit of a blow to discover that it was actually a white guy. But, you know, it's uh yeah.
1: While we're talking about it, mm-hmm. let me just throw it out there. if uh, The documentary The Problem with Apu, which was produced by Hari Kondabulu, I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you don't understand why they would be offended by characters like this or Apu. Um, and the fact that Apu was voiced by a white guy for <laughs> decades. Yeah, um, It's a really good documentary. And it, it, it was a brave documentary for him to make because he got so much hate because of it. And it's uh, a lot of threats, a lot of racism he's had to deal with. Um yeah. it, it comes back all the time. Like when Hank Azaria said he wasn't gonna be playing a poo anymore, once again Hari Kondabulu went through all that hate. And it's just it's so stupid. It's it's so frustrating that the way people treat him for what is an incredibly valid opinion.
0: Yeah. But it's it's things like um Family Guy. Does Family Guy get shit for the character of Cleveland Brown? I've never heard anything about that. Because Cleveland Brown, have you? Because Cleveland Brown's voiced by a white man.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's been a thing too. Yeah. Um, but, but the problem is, is there you still have black representation? That's true. In cartoons, like Apu, if Apu's your only representation, that's the big difference. Like there. There has been talk about Cleveland, but it it really does come down to, in this case, like, if this is your one thing. Mm, That's true. Because, I mean, because there are also, I mean, like, yeah, there are more white voiceover actors um, than any other race, but there's also, I mean, there are black voiceover actors that do white voices. So it's not like, it's not like it's strictly, you know, this one thing, but Apu has been used in a way. To insult Indian people, that like it's he's become part of part of the harassment. Occasionally, occasionally, yeah,
0: but there have been episodes where they have actually tried, um, to like represent like a poo's culture and stuff, uh, and it, it, it doesn't really work because it's still a bunch yeah. of white guys writing. So I've got some notes, okay. as per the usual... Um, I'll never say that again. I might say that again. Okay. Don't know. We'll see. Uh the director wanted to film in New York, but that was too expensive. So they shot in, um, Toronto and in Canada instead. And he said in his commentary that Toronto was far too clean. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's damn Canadian.
0: Exactly. Um, the opening where you see Johnny Five, the little robot thing just going about mm-hmm. the, the shopping center, um, mm-hmm. the mall. Well, that in the script it just said the Johnny Five robot breaks free and runs loose in the, apartment st- in, uh, the department store. Uh, so the director actually had to come up with everything that happened in the department store because uh, the writers could bash writing it. So there you go. Anyway, but there's a good shot where the I think it's when it's just come out from underneath all the stalls with the women getting dressed or getting changed, mm-hmm. which. You don't see anything, which is good. Uh, There's my poster filled off the door. And that was weird. That was strange. No, I just put it up earlier on. I thought it was going okay. to colour. Um, you don't see anything, which is good. You just see, like, legs. But after it's come out from under there, it's like going, it looks like it's coming towards the camera, but it actually hits the mirror. And I like that shot because you don't see the camera mm-hmm. in the mirror. I always like it when they do good things with mirrors. There's an unofficial short circuit free. Yeah, I saw that. In 1991, and I've actually watched it. um, In 1991, uh, there was an educational video made by the California Justice Department about car theft. It was called Hot Cars, Cold Facts. But Tim Blaney didn't do the voice. So I don't know why they got Johnny Five, the character of Johnny Five, to do this thing, if they didn't even get the same guy to do the voice. It was a a different actor. Mm. But it's on youtube so i watched it okay um this is kenneth johnson's first movie as a director uh he was primarily a tv writer um mm-hmm. he created the shows v um the bionic bionic woman mm-hmm. and uh the incredible hulk he developed the Incredible hulk tv show um okay. so he was a big writer and director in tv and this was his first uh, he's only ever directed one other movie, and I can't remember what it is. Steel, starring Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal.
1: Never, never saw it. It's a
0: DC superhero movie. S- okay. Steel. It's okay. not good. <laughs> but yeah, so out of the, like the two movies he's he's ever directed, this is his best one. Um, so that is all of my notes, Jen. Do you have anything else to say about Short Circuit
1: 2? Uh, for some reason, I just really loved it at the end when he yells that he's really pissed off.
0: Oh, that's my favourite part of the entire movie. And it's a bit <laughs> like
1: that's... that. Mo- yeah. That moment was almost my positive.
0: Yeah. And it's it's like that bit is always cut out, cut out of the TV version. Mm. And it annoys
1: me because it's a great line. <laughs> I just. Because it's. I mean, we see him as more of a person, and he has these emotions and stuff, and there's something about the fact that he's really pissed off Mm. that, like, takes it to this whole other level, and I I love it. I really do.
0: Absolutely. No, it's a brilliant moment. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. My favorite moment out of both movies. Um, Right, so next week, Jen, it is is your pick, and uh, what have you picked for next time?
1: I figured with Short Circuit 2, you missed Steve Gutenberg, so uh, <laughs> we'll do Three Men and a Baby.
0: Uh, yeah, I always miss the Goot. Yeah, okay, Three Men and a Baby from 1987. So, yeah, uh, it's been a while since I've seen that movie. It's
1: a remake of a French film. It is. That would be our it's-
0: second remake of a French movie that we've done, I think.
1: And it was directed by litter Emoy, so. It
0: was, yeah. It was his first director. <laughs> no second Dictorian movie because he did one of the Star Treks before that
1: oh okay
0: um anyway that's all we have time for if you'd like to follow us on twitter it's at droppadpod uh shiftthebest.cloth.uk is the website contact the uk is email address where can people follow you online Jen at
1: pilot inspectors on twitter excellent thank you all for listening and we'll speak to your next day goodbye goodbye